official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Well, we've been in a series of questions that God asks us, and I've been away for two Sundays. A couple Sundays ago, I was preaching in a few churches um, in New York, and last Sunday I took off for vacation, and so I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to to open up the scriptures and teach, and we're going to be looking at this morning part three of our series of questions that God asks, and as a pastor... I get asked a lot of questions about God, and I do my best to answer them, but more often than not, I have the same questions. So it's questions like, I get asked this question often, why did God allow this to happen? Well, I ask that question too, right? Or this question, how about this one? What does God want me to do next? How many of you have asked that question before? What does God want me to do? Or when will he answer my prayer? All of us have asked that question, right? If you've prayed, you've asked that question. If you haven't asked that question, it's because you're not praying enough. (laughs) And then here's another one. How do I discover his purpose for my life? See, what what I find as a pastor is that we have a lot of good questions for God, don't we? Those are good questions. And we have a lot of questions for God. But one of the things that I find really intriguing about Scripture is how many questions... God has for us. Because all throughout Scripture, we find God asking questions. And it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's omnipotent. He's all-knowing, right? He knows the answer. So why does he ask so many questions? Well, I want to submit to you three reasons why I believe God asks us questions. And the first one is relationship. That God asks us questions to relate to us. Because questions are are really inviting. Uh, They involve conversation. They involve communication. They invite someone to communicate and enter into community. That's what questions do. They demonstrate a desire to learn more about someone. So when you ask someone a question, you're engaging them and you're, you're, you're saying to them, you're communicating value to them really in a way. You're saying that this person who I'm asking this question to is worth discovering and finding out more about. And so relationship is the first reason that God asks questions. The second one is revelation. That God uses questions to reveal himself and to show us what's true. How many of you have ever had someone ask you a question before and your, your perspective changed, either of that person or the topic that they were asking you about, right? That happens to us all the time. We'll, 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 we'll have someone ask us a question and our perspective changes. We say, well, I, I guess I just haven't thought about that before. Or I guess I just haven't considered that before. And so there's something about question asking that's revelatory. And so God uses questions to reveal not only who he is, but his truth. And the third reason that God asks us questions is for transformation. 
because questions have a power to them that elicit change. Uh, One beautiful thing about a question, I'm not sure if you've considered this or not, but questions confront you in a gentle way, right? They, They challenge your attitudes and your behaviors and your beliefs in a humble, thoughtful way. And so it makes sense then that God would use a lot of questions, that he would ask humanity a lot of questions because he wants to relate to us. He wants to reveal who he is to us. And he wants to transform us. He wants to change us into his image. And it's something he's always done. In fact, if if we go back to our origins, back to the book of Genesis, we, we find God asking a number of questions In Genesis chapter 3 and in chapter 4, we find nine questions that God asks. He actually asks eight questions. One is repeated a second time. So there's nine altogether in these two chapters. And I'm going to have Ian put those up on the screen. We'll just read them through really quick. This is a number of questions to have in just a few chapters. The first question he asks is, where are you? The second one he asks in Genesis is, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? The third one, Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat? The fourth one, what have you done? And that's the one he repeats later on in chapter four. The fifth one, why are you angry? Six, why are you downcast? Seven, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And eight, where is your brother? So that's a lot of questions to ask in the first opening chapters of of scripture. And we're going to focus on three of these questions today. The three questions that we're going to focus on are, where are you? Who told you that? And where is your brother? So you ready to dig into these questions that God asks us? All right. All I needed was one yes. (laughs) All right. First one, where are you? I'm going to have Sai come up and he's going to read our opening passage. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. So, this on Genesis one, uh, 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other animal in the world, uh, and any of the wild animals the God, that Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did you really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for, the, for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I have heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
The man said, the woman you put here with me gave it me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Okay, so here's the first thing I want to highlight from this passage of scripture we just read together. And that's the power of questions. And that not all questions are life-giving questions. Have you ever had a question that tried to rob you of your joy? Or lead you to a place of despair and despondency? Well, you're not alone. This happened to Eve too. And the serpent asked her a question. And this is the question the serpent asked. Did God really say? And so the question is questioning God's intention and his motives. And he's trying to confuse Eve. He says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve kind of corrects him a little bit. She says, no, there's just one tree we can't eat eat from. But then she says this, we can't eat it or even touch it. And I want you to notice something because uh, in, in the book of Genesis, God never told Adam and Eve they couldn't touch this tree, just that they couldn't eat from it. And so there's something here that we see about the serpent's question. Genesis tells us that the serpent was the most cunning and crafty of the creatures in the garden. And he's leading Eve here to misspeak, right? Because God told them not to eat it. And Eve goes, yeah, we can't eat it or even touch it. How many of you guys like courtroom shows or movies? And if, if you watch courtroom shows, you'll see sometimes an objection made, a courtroom objection where the, the, the lawyer is questioning the witness and, and the, uh, the person who's on the stand, their lawyer will say, objection, your honor, the counsel is leading the witness, right? What does that mean? It means the counsel's trying to be tricky. He's trying to be cunning. He's trying to lead the witness down a path that will, they'll be confused and they'll say something indicting, right? And so maybe there's a reason we call lawyers snakes. I don't know. That's not true. If you're a lawyer, we need lawyers. We need good lawyers in the world. We need good lawyers in the world. But, but what the serpent's doing here with Eve is he, he's, he's leading her, right? He knows what God said, but he's leading her. And after the serpent's question, Eve herself starts to doubt God's intention. She starts to wonder, uh, maybe he is holding out on me. Maybe God is holding out. Perhaps I, I do need something that I don't have in order to be fulfilled. And so they eat the fruit, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and scripture tells us that immediately they recognize their nakedness, their eyes are open, they're filled with shame, insecurity is born into the world, and it says this, that they they cover themselves up with fig leaves, so they make this camouflage underwear, because somehow they think if we can create this, we'll be able to hide from God. Well, not sure camo underwear is going to pull that off. (laughs) In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and here's the question, Where are you? The very first question that God asks humankind is, Where are you? Now, I want you to notice the tenderness in that question. Because what God didn't say is he didn't walk through the garden and say, why are you hiding? That's so stupid. I can see you. Those little camel clothes you made hiding in the trees is not going to hide you. 
But he didn't say, why are you hiding? He said, where are you? See, if he asked the question like, why are you hiding? Come on. That would draw attention to their stupidity, their silliness of their efforts, right? Instead, he chooses tenderness over toughness because he's not trying to drive them out of hiding. He's trying to draw them out of hiding. And there's a huge difference, right? Yes, where are you? I remember one time in my life when I was hiding from God. (laughs) I was disillusioned. I was disappointed. I was a little angry at God. I was kind of like Eve, thinking, man, I think God's holding out on me. I'm doing all these things for him, and I'm a pretty good, pretty good follower of Christ. And man, things are just not going right. I think, he, I think he's holding out on me, and there's something in my life that I need in order to be fulfilled. So I was just a little bit angry, and I was kind of hiding on God. And, and there was circumstances. We had lost our first two pregnancies to miscarriage, and we were about to lose our third and my wife was on bed rest, and I made $19,000 a year working for this church, and we were broke poor, and our septic system backed up in our house. And I just went through a, through a season where I was just hiding from God because of this stuff, just like disappointed and disillusioned. And I remember one day, um, I was kind of praying a little angry prayer, which is a good thing to do. God, God can handle our angst. You know that, right? He, he's, he's secure enough and who he is, where he can handle our questions. And so I said to God, where are you? And I felt like he just flipped that back, and the thought came into my mind where he asked me, where are you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've been hiding. And what I learned from that experience is this, that when God asks you that question, where are you? It's not because he wants to drive you out of hiding. It's because he wants to draw you out from hiding behind your anger, your disillusionment, your fear, your shame, your pain. He wants to draw you out behind all the things that you're hiding behind because he wants to relate to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. and He wants to transform you. That's why he tenderly asked that question. And so I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who God is directing that question. If you're honest with yourself, maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, oh, you know what? I've kind of, I feel kind of, God's asking me that question. Where are you? He's not trying to, to drive you out. He's being tender. He's trying to dry out because he wants to relate to you. He wants to transform you. He wants to reveal truth to you, himself to you. Well, the second question that we're going to focus on this morning is who told you that? And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, after Adam and Eve come up with this brilliant plan, I guess the tree of knowledge didn't quite do for them what they expected it to do because they're fig-leafing and hiding, thinking they can hide from God. But they're hiding, and then in verse 10, after God asks, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? Who have you been listening to? Why are you so insecure and fearful? You weren't before. Why are you now? That's not how I wired you. What's going on here? But what happened is they started listening to other voices, right? And one thing that I have come to realize in my life that 
there will always be voices that try to discredit what God says. There are always going to be false narratives that are going to try to shape and form your life into something that God has not designed for you. Um, when I was 10 years ago, or a little bit longer than that, maybe 11 years ago, when I was telling folks that I was going to come and plant a church in Burlington, I had some voices, some friends of mine, some people say, ask me this question, are you sure you're a church planter? Are you, are you sure? And I was telling them, it's just going to be my family and then two friends, my friend Tom and my, and my friend Kyle, like we're going to go start this church in Burlington. And people, well-meaning, right? They say, uh, are you sure that that's what you're supposed to do? And impl- they're implying, right, like maybe you're not seeing things right. But here's the thing. I knew God wanted to c- me to come here and plant a church. And so I had to decide which voice am I going to allow to shape and frame my future? Which voice am I going to listen to? And so maybe you're here this morning and you are at a place in your life when you're filled with self-doubt. Maybe you're filled with insecurity and it's causing you to hide from God and to hide from your future. Because you have voices constantly running you down, beating you up, telling you, are you sure that that... And what you need more than anything is to remind yourself of what God says about you. A long time ago when I started full-time occupational ministry, I was a youth pastor, and we were given this building downtown to turn into a youth center. And one of the very first things I did is I found this list that talked about who we are in Christ and it has a Bible verse for every statement of who we are in Christ. And so I made a six foot 12 banner of this and I put it up right on the wall because I wanted young people to know who they are in Christ. Because how many know in, in, in the world we live in, people are just, they're, they're very eager to tell you negative things about you. <laughs> They're very eager to tell you um, who you are and who you aren't. And so I said, well, it's important from the outset. And Luann was in my youth group. She would remember this banner. Yeah, you still have the banner? Oh, yes, I made little printouts. And so I've got a whole stack of those up here because here's here's what I believe, that there are some people here who are filled with self-doubt and insecurities in your life because you've been listening to Uh, what other people say about you more than what God says about you. And more than anything, you just need to focus on what God says about you. So come up after the service, you take one of these, you put it on your your mirror, your dresser, in your car, somewhere where you you can read what Scripture says about you in Christ Jesus. And so when God asks who you've been listening to, when God asks you this question, who told you that? It's because he wants to remind you of what he says about you. So he says to Adam, who told you you were naked? Are you going to listen to their opinions about you? Or are you going to listen to my opinions about you? Right? All right, let's look at the third and final question that we'll look at today. And it's when God asks Cain 
Adam and Eve's son, where is your brother? In the next chapter of Genesis chapter 4, we find the story of Cain and Abel, who are Adam and Eve's sons. And it says this, that Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices before the Lord. And that God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And you can ask, well, why would God reject an offering? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that Cain's sacrifice lacked faith, that there was an attitudinal issue with his sacrifice. And so God rejected it because the scripture tells us that God looks inward at the heart, right? Not on our offering, not on our gifts. See, some of you, when you were singing and you worshiping, you were offering up praise. And some of you are just in this place where your heart was so... um, um, desiring to connect to God, that that smelled beautiful to God. And there's been times in, in church, I'm offering a song and offering a praise, and, and I've got a cane attitude where I'm just like, I'm just miserable, right? I just have this attitude problem. I'm, I'm singing it. And those kind of offerings and sacrifices um, have, have different aromas to God. And so what happens is Cain becomes jealous and angry with his brother, because he sees that God accepts his sacrifice and has rejected his. And so another series of questions come up that God asks. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, and look at these questions here. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so God asks Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And these questions are not meant to to humiliate Cain or push him away. These questions are meant to provide a lifeline for Cain. Because God's telling Cain here, hey, there's a decision coming up in your life. Sin is crouching at your door and it's wanting to take you out. Don't let it. You have a choice, Cain. That's what God's doing here. Well, soon after Cain makes his choice, it's not the one God was hoping for. Verse 8 says this, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? So this leads us to our third and final question we're going to look at today. Where is your brother? Why does God ask this question? Is it because he doesn't know where Abel is? Of course, of course not. He tells Cain in the, in the next few verses, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God knew where Abel was, and yet he asked this question. Why does God ask this question? Well, he wanted to make it crystal clear from the very beginning that our lives are not all about us. See, here's one of the greatest misconceptions that I find about Christianity. It's this, that we can go it alone. That we can be deeply spiritual on our own. That we don't need the church. We don't need community. We don't need other people. Who needs other people? They're a mess, right? Church would be awesome if there was no people. It was just me, 
there'd be no problems, everything would go as I wanted. <laughs> We'd sing every song that I like and not sing any songs that I don't like. The sermons would be unbelievable because I'd be pre- just be talking to myself. <laughs> just talking about things I want to talk about, the way I want to talk about it. <laughs> Who needs other people? See, oftentimes we fall for this lie that we can be deeply spiritual on our own. I mean, listen, I could go online right now and I could pull up YouTube videos of like worship singing and they even got lights and smoke machines, man. We don't have that stuff here. And I could just like turn that on, crank it up, turn off the lights, ah, just get lost in worship. Why do I need to come to church to do that? The, the, the musicians are way better than us. The singers are great. The lights are so cool. Or I could go listen to a podcast and I can hear preachers that are way better than Adam and Ian and Abby, right? Like I can just sit at home from the comfort of my bed and I can just watch these, listen to these great sermons. Why do I need other people? Other people just like cause problems. They're needy. <laughs> I'm not needy. I just need me. But other people, they need all these things. They need all these people, Right? And we convince ourselves that we can actually uh, pursue our faith on our own. And what happens is this. We trade in a personal faith for an individualistic one. And while our faith is meant to be personal, it was never, ever intended to be individualistic. The truth of the matter is this, that spiritual maturity can't even exist outside of healthy relationships and serving others. It can't even exist. You're kidding yourself. I'll tell you, I'll give you proof. First John chapter four, verse eight says, whoever does not love his brother. And that, that word love, by the way, is not just like a nice feeling. Oh, I love you. Just stay away from me. That's not what that means. It's very practical. It's a, it's a love with legs on it. Whoever does not love his brother doesn't know God because God is love. Why are we going on a church retreat together? Man, I don't want to go to retreat. People, like, their feet smell, and they stay up late, and they, they I'm just going to have, was there, I, I, just people going to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are we launching several small groups in the fall? Like, oh, just another night of going out in someone's home, and it could be around people again. Like, I, I, I can just, like, put on YouTube and just get a good teaching or a worship song. See, when we do these things, here's why we're doing them. Because we want as a community to resist the false narrative that we can go it alone. That's why. And we need to do that. We need to resist that false narrative that tells us we can go it alone. See, Cain didn't see any use for his brother. He viewed Abel as a nuisance to get rid of. He makes me feel bad about myself. I don't like the way he does things. God likes him more than me. I'll just get rid of him because I don't need him. And an interesting thing happens to Cain. God gives Cain exactly what he wants. Cain wanted to be alone. He didn't want anybody to be involved in his business, in his life. And he loses, he ends up losing all sense of belonging, all sense of community, all sense of identifying with community. And Cain becomes, Genesis tells us, a restless wanderer, detached and rootless. There's no roots anywhere. And he says to God later on, this is more than I can bear. And if we're not careful, we can end up in the same condition as Cain. Isolated wanderers. 
We can say, I don't need all of these people. In fact, I'm better off without people in my life. They're too needy, too high maintenance. If we're not careful, we can end up in the same path as Cain, where God gives us exactly what we're asking him for. He becomes an isolated wanderer. You guys want to take a litmus test with me? All right. All I need is one yes, remember. Whenever I ask a question, if I get one yes, you're all on board. So you might want to have a conversation after church. Like, nobody say yes to any of those questions. Let me give you a litmus test to, to discover kind of how individualistic your thinking is when it comes to faith and following Jesus. Okay, you, you got to be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell your answers to anybody. This is just an internal kind of process, an internal litmus test. I'm going to ask you two questions. First question is this. When you read scripture, do you read all of the you's in the first person singular? Or do you recognize that, that scripture, the scriptures weren't primarily written to me, but to us? Not to I, but to we. How do you read scripture? When you see the word you come up in scripture, how do you read that? That's a good litmus test to find out how individualistic is your faith. Right? Now, faith should always be personal, but it's never intended to be individualistic. Here's a second litmus test. Why do you attend church on Sundays? Do you attend to get something out of it for yourself? Or do you attend to contribute something and offer something to God and to others? Right? See, as a pastor, one thing I hear often, and I've, I've been in pastoral occupational ministry for over 20 years, and, and lots of times, um, and, I, and this has been in multiple churches, and lots of times people will come up to me and say, hey, I'm, I'm new to this church. The reason I'm here is going over to this church, but I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't get anything out of the worship. This wasn't my style. I didn't get anything out of the teaching. It was just... This wasn't good. To, but, but you, oh, I get, I get stuff out of your teaching. And I know instantly that's a litmus test, right? That, that, that there's an individualistic kind of approach to faith there. And, and, and God wants to change that into a personal faith because he w- wants our contribution, right? I remember a, a few years ago, Peter and Karen Newman aren't here. They, they, they take most of the summer off and go to their, their camp. But when they first started coming to church, I remember having a conversation with them. And I think it was in Peter's office. And I said, so why, why are you coming to our church? I always think like, I always ask that question kind of like, why, why our church? Like, <laughs> I'm not good at anything. And, and we're kind of small and we don't have a lot of programs. And why are you coming to our church? And, and they said to me, because we feel that we could help and contribute there. And I just said, Yeah. Come on. That just like makes me smile when I hear that. I remember several years ago when the Haran started coming to our church and our church was even like smaller and less. We didn't have children's ministry. They run our children's ministry now. They didn't have, we didn't have anything. And I asked them, why are you coming? And they said, well, we really feel God wants us here. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. So here's the second litmus test. Why Do you come to church on Sundays? Is it so you can get something personally out of it for yourself? Which we all do, right? But is that our purpose? Or is it to contribute 
to what God is doing, to offer something to God, to offer something to someone else. So when God asks you the question, where is your brother? Where is your sister? He's reminding you that a person wrapped up in themselves makes for a very small package. So when he asks Cain, where's your brother? He's not trying to demoralize Cain or He's trying to say, hey, hey, your existence, it's more than just about you. Cain goes, am I my brother's keeper? And that's a posture we often take, right? And then God says, what have you done? Now you're going to get what you want. I'm going to give you what you're asking for. And he's isolated. And if we're not careful, that can be us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to close our time together by coming to the communion table. But before we do, I want us to reflect on these three questions that we looked at today. And I want you to reflect and ask yourself, which one of these questions is God asking me? Let's go over them again. Number one, where are you? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been in hiding You've been keeping God and others at arm's length at bay because you're afraid. And he wants to tenderly draw you out of hiding because he wants to relate to you. He wants to transform you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Maybe the question God is asking you this morning is who told you that? Maybe God's talking to you this morning and he's saying, who have you been listening to? What false narratives... Are you allowing to shape your future? What insecurities are in your life that that are keeping you from what God has for you? And what you need more than anything is just to focus on what God says about you. Or maybe the, the question that God's asking you is, where is your brother? Where is your sister? Because you have unintentionally turned a personal faith into an individualistic one. And you convince yourself that you can grow spiritually and mature spiritually on your own. Maybe you even have some Cain characteristics that are creeping up in your life. There's sadness, there's frustration, there's jealousy, and you're killing off all the meaningful relationships in your life because they're too much of a bother. because you don't want to rely on anyone or get close to anyone. That's not how God wired you. And he'll give you that if you keep asking him for it. So which of these questions is God asking you? And I'm going to tell you this. The reason he's asking you them is not to demean you or belittle you or to drive you out. He's doing it to draw you close because he wants to relate to you He wants to reveal himself to you, and he wants to transform you. So as we come to the communion table, let's consider that. Um, To give you a little bit of instruction before we come to the table, we're going to have some music that's going to play. I'm going to invite you to come up and take the bread and the cup. And we have two tables here. It's a gluten-free option in solidarity with our gluten-free friends. And and, I'm going to invite you to come up both aisles and just take the bread and the cup, take it back to your seat with the music playing, and I will lead us in taking communion together as a church family. Does that sound good? Can I pray for us? 
Let's pray. Lord, I'll confess that I have tons of questions for you all the time. In my heart, when I ask questions, it's not not because um, I want to get to know you more. Sometimes it's because I'm angry or upset or I just feel insecure or uh, don't like knowing very much that I don't have any control over things. But Lord, when you ask us questions, you already know the answer. And you're asking us questions because you want to draw us out. You want to draw us in. You want to relate to us. You want to reveal yourself to us. And you want to transform us. And God, man, I'll just confess, I could use all that. So thank you for your questions you ask us. God, thank you for these questions in Genesis that you asked at the beginning of humankind. And you're still asking them this morning. So Holy Spirit, whatever questions you want to ask, give us the courage to listen. Give us the bravery to consider them, to hold them before you. And give us uh, the, the, the fortitude we need to respond and not just shove them away. Because we know your intention is good, even at times when we doubt it. Lord, I pray for those who... Um, you might be asking a different question too that we didn't cover today. God, do your thing. Your, your questions are better than ours. <laughs> and we just trust you. As we come to the table, take the bread and the cup, continue just to ask us. We'll do our best to listen and respond. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 